Hey everybody, welcome to the Masterful Collaborations podcast, brought to you by GMCC, in partnership, of course, with the many people and organizations that help bring forth an equitable structure for collaboration and power sharing in areas of food, youth, and well-being. Today's episode is going to focus on one of GMCC's most masterful and most impactful collaborations in the area of food, and really food equity. We're joined today by two men who had a vision to unleash and scale the power of urban farming in very innovative ways through an initiative now known as Minnesota Venture Farms, which has since flowered, no pun intended, into an enterprise that is led by a collective of BIPOC farmers, agriculture leaders, and food entrepreneurs. We're honored to have both of them here in the studio today. So please welcome Reynolds Anthony Harris and Mr. Douglas Belton to the Masterful Collaborations podcast. Hey guys. Hey, hello. Good morning. Well, thanks for thanks for being here. Reynolds Anthony, let's start with you. You've had a very long history of community activism and change, particularly here in, in the state of Minnesota, um, but not only here, I mean, also really around the world. What did you see uh, that turned long ago? What did you see that, that really turned Minnesota Venture Farms into a reality? Well, this goes back centuries because of the tradition that I swim in. Um, but I will say the uh, appreciation for the earth, appreciation for uh, the quality of the production of food. Um, but more importantly, we took, uh, and my colleague here and others, took a deep dive <clears throat> when um, we wanted to take a look at food uh, security across the state. Uh, GMCC for over 60 years has been running food shelves. And so there was a particular interest. And then of course, what COVID uh, sort of exposed was the lack of a ecosystem for small and medium farms to be able to bring production in small batches to communities. It just simply didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> out of that, um, uh, I pulled, you know, pulled from my global experience um, working with small farming enterprises or cooperatives around the world to think about, can that work here? And we spent a good chunk of last year uh, in a think tank structure with small, medium farmers in Minnesota, both BIPOC and other. And um, my colleague here, uh, Doug Belton, and I'll have him share around what he says. We we have been talking about these issues for years. Mm. Um, as I said to you earlier, we tend to geek out on things mm-hmm. like I, I found out some stuff about hemp production yesterday and I was sending it to him previously and uh, and saying, you know, what, what what would be the income on a farm if you had a part of your parcel that was doing that production uh, kind of piece? Um and I would just say that we are taking this as a journey. And I want to say up front, it's a BPOC led. Uh, and, but that does not mean excluding others. So we have members of our, what I call our emerging network. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a network of, uh, organizations and individuals that are both BIPOC and, um, and other, of course. And so, uh, it, our vision is that we re we design a new ecosystem for food security, 
in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's BPOC led is great. Yeah. And uh, but also the fact that it's a collaboration is even greater. Yeah. yeah. Douglas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess a, a, a bit of background on myself and, and my connection to this. Um, so, uh, yeah, my name is Douglas Belton. Uh, I should clarify, I'm, I'm the second. Uh, my father's name is Douglas Belton as well. He's, he's uh, active in the community as well, uh, on the security business. Um, so, yeah, as, as Reynolds was saying, we've known each other for a number of years. Um, I currently live between uh, Minneapolis and uh, Sydney, Australia. Um, I'm here for the summer. And over the years, um, you know, we've talked about in, in, in connection to the, some of the work that I do, in Australia uh, as a management consultant um, for a professional services firm, working with uh, Aboriginal people who have land holdings and uh, some of them are farmers and they're working in the the native food space. Um, So drawing on that experience, um, you know, when the opportunity came to do some work with uh, Lyceum Partners and GMCC, um, looking at, you know, some of the learnings from that, um, one of the critical questions is said, well, how can we bring some of these learnings around? What is it that people need in order to overcome the barriers to access to land that um, is going to provide them with opportunities to see farm farming as a viable uh, career, mm-hmm. career path? Um, so, so in essence, you know, this kind of global approach and looking at, you know, what are some of the things that are emerging in other places? How can we draw on that and look to see um, building on the strengths and what's happening here already in Minnesota? How can we bring those things to bear and help, um, you know, reduce those barriers uh, to access in terms of, again, land access to be able to to grow viable farm ventures? So, um, you know, my background, again, management consulting, uh, design research, co-design, co-creation, and, um, you know, using those methods to bring about the insights required to know what what, what do people actually want? What do they have that they want to build on? Mm -hmm. Um, And then how can we work together collaboratively? Uh, to bring about those those futures yeah um so that's that's really what really kind of uh enticed me about the opportunity to do work and, and with my commitment to to minnesota um you know to be able to kind of cross minnesota who um some of whom are uh, you know they they practice organic methods and natural systems they have a um a strong kind of sense of of justice um they they are self-aware of uh, the colonial context that allowed them to uh, have access to land when others did not and do not. Um, and they're in a point where they're looking at, they don't have, oftentimes don't have a succession plan mm-hmm. because their children are going off into the cities. They want to, you know, they see how their their parents are toiling under, you know, heavy debt burdens and et cetera. And then they're fighting some kind of ideological war as well around kind of organic or not organic, industrial ag or not. Mm-hmm. And so part of the work is at helping them with a succession plan because as you have this happening, you also have as you were getting speaking to earlier, you have this kind of rise of consciousness, particularly in black communities, as I've I've observed and have participated in, um, but as well as indigenous, uh, uh, Latin, Latinx, uh, you know, Asian communities, the monk, the monk community, as an example, where they are starting to, uh, you know, take advantage of these opportunities. There's a growing awareness and interest in urban agriculture, health consciousness. We're seeing that, you know, across the board with the younger generation. And so part of the work and the value proposition and the use case is bringing those two together, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I, I just wanted to, to, to respond to that. Yeah. So with regards to social justice, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I got I to gotta shout out, you know, some of the other organizations in the Twin Cities are doing this work. Um, Project Sweetie Pie, um, you know, Appetite for Change, um, uh, 
There are there there are some other you know initiatives and, and groups that are doing stuff, particularly in the Twin Cities and different kind of you know pockets and parts, where they are looking at uh, you know food justice as an an integral and 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 uh, very important component of social justice, and uh, and it's not anything new. I mean, if you go back to you know civil rights uh, era, um, you know Fannie Lou Hamer, and she was a organizer in the South who, you know, uh, did black farming and agrarian cooperatives and, you know, was really about getting land access and, and, and pooling together resources amongst black communities in order to access land to grow because she recognized that with any revolutionary struggle, you know, you cannot eat bullets. And that was one of her favorite <laughs> quotes, you know, you can't eat bullets. So um, absolutely. I think, you know, food, um, food security, food sovereignty um, and food apartheid is actually another area where you're starting to see the, the discourse change rather than food deserts in this kind of, uh, you know, talking about the, the situation in terms of a deficit that's happening kind of in some abstract form. Yeah. You know, when you talk about food apartheid, you're recognizing the, the intentionality behind, you know, the current uh, lack of access and, and, and um, uh, disproportionate uh you know, like uh, access to, to quality food. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I love how you're bringing up, you know, the other players in this space, you know, players makes it sound so, <laughs> so athletic here, but you know, the other people out there, organizations out there that are in this, in this good, uh, they're, they're in the field, if you will, you know, they're in the vineyard, uh, all in their different rows. And, 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 you know, that's really, when we talk about collaboration and masterful collaboration, that is the work of GMCC. Reynolds, maybe talk a little bit about specifically the role that GMCC is playing in this. Uh, so um, I like to talk often about extraordinary leaders because I've had the opportunity to develop some mm -hmm. in my long career. And I happen to be working with one now. <clears throat> uh, Adrian Dorn is uh, the leader at GMCC. And I was introduced to her I, one month before we locked down. I, um, the current board chair, who I have a long friendship with, mm -hmm. said, hey, I want you to meet someone. Let's have lunch. And when I met Adrian Dorn, I, I thought, what an extraordinary light. Which, um, and I, we can get into a whole other conversation about the nonprofit industrial complex in Minnesota. But <laughs> let's just say that... Um, for in my last 20 years, I would say um, she certainly ranks in the top two or three, yeah. particularly white women uh, in this state who are committed to justice and well-being. <clears throat> and so we had an opportunity to begin to do some work together. And that evolved into uh, a long term, longer term uh, piece of work collaboratively, which the word collaboration is a key word, and that's how she leads. She is the ultimate collaborator. Uh, and uh, so um, we felt the work falls into three areas, you know, um, you know, food, um, uh, justice, and, uh, and, and, uh, children, and, and youth work, uh, and, uh, and uh, well-being. And so uh, as we began to Think about the next for all of that and the research that I've already uh, referenced in this podcast. Um, her leadership is just go make it happen. I love go make it happen leaders that leave you alone. So she uh, hired Lysine Partners, which has a, you know, over a 30 year um, 
uh, sort of track record in dealing with sort of issues at hand. And one of the issues at hand was justice in Minnesota. And uh, trying to, one of the justice or, or making of justice uh, uh, pieces of work is how do we, I always think of the image of a bowl, a child's hand holding a bowl. And whether that bowl is full of food or nutrition or is it empty? Mm. And um, I, I have to tell this story, and I don't mean to be political, but I, I really want to because it's, it, it's, it, it helps to illuminate. So we did a deep dive in northern Minnesota and bumped into uh, significant child hunger that we were not aware of. And um, I, I pointed this out to someone here in the city, and they said, well, that's what they get for voting for you-know-who. Mm-hmm. And I remember my um, comment was, I don't care if they voted for Bozo the Clown. We got hungry kids in Minnesota. We have hungry kids all over the state. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 Douglas, you've got, you've, got, you've got the right idea. You've got the right, you know, uh, geography, you know, when you think of the legacy and just the land here that we have in the state, you've got the right, you've got the right partners, you've got the right leader, um, you know, you've got, all these things are lining up, you know, you've got the right sort of cultural awareness, you know, of, of this sort of appetite, no pun intended again, for change. What are, what are some of the obstacles that you're running into? I mean, not to get all dark here, but like, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that if you could wave a magic wand and get rid of this one thing or a couple of things, what are the, what are those, what are those remaining obstacles? There's kind of the, there's a number of things there's, some of them are related to capacity. I think mm-hmm. there's, um, in terms of, you know, you, you think about organizations that, uh, you know, have the network, have the community, you know, in, in terms of looking at that component of it in terms of and notice I said global because um, part of what we learn every day is that there are things happening around the world and if we're not tracking it um, a it could save us money um, B it could the information could be very helpful to someone right now um, and uh, not having that having been a global manager myself uh, both based here and based in Switzerland and some other places, you have to watch the whole world, even though you may not think it has anything to do with what's happening in the here and now. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. It's the whole notion of systems and the impact on systems. Mm-hmm. So I would say those are additional challenges. But on the other hand, they're simply challenges. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you're, you're, you're very astute to, to acknowledge that so many uh, a common denominator, a thread that is maybe woven through a lot of those challenges is that vertical orientation. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where the, that's where the lack of collaboration, that's where this, what you were bringing up Douglas is a lot of people probably don't, they're not even aware of all of the different regulatory connection points until they actually get into it, you know, and you're getting, and you're so far down your vertical to then realize like, Oh, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I got to get over there as well. So I do. Well, think I was loving that of, when, uh, for the listeners, uh, Jeffrey was pointing down as he said vertical. <laughs> yeah, down. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and uh, I, I said, get your head out of the soybeans mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and yeah. come up for air. Yeah. Yeah, so. All right, so last question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask both of you guys the same question, and you can have the same answer if you want. Um, but it's going to be about the future. And you can dimensionalize it in kind of more empirical um, uh, uh, 
aspects, if you will, you know, with number of farmers or number of farms or, you know, bales of hay or whatever, or uh, acres of soybeans or something like that. You can tell I'm not a farmer myself. Or you can, or you can respond to it in a more, you know, kind of visionary, esoteric kind of way. But, but Douglas, we'll start with you. Ten years from now, what does the work of Minnesota Venture Farms look like? I think 10 years from now, um, it'll look like there'll be, you know, a number of case studies where we can point to, where we can say, you know, we've uh, we've supported people along their journey in mm -hmm. terms of realizing their aspirations to become a farmer and have a uh, living, you know, viable income uh, doing so and in, in a meaningful income. Um, and, you know, and, and to me, I think that, you know, there's always a question, you know, quantum, but uh, I'm also very much interested in, in, in quality. And so, you know, if, if we can develop that out for a number, a handful, I, I, it's hard for me to you know, probably put a projection. Maybe we do have something that has, you know, somewhere in some of the projections that we put, to, you know, where we have, you know, X amount of numbers over 10 years. But right now, I think it's really about focusing on quality outcomes for the people that are, um, are, are inspired and compelled to be involved in what we're, mm -hmm. what we're working towards. Um, and if we can have some of those cases that then we can we can promote, we can show, you know, this is what's worked um, and, and, you know, we can continue to, uh, to develop our processes in terms of, um, you know, inviting people to be a part of this in terms of, you know, people with these aspirations, people who have land that they want to uh, do something, uh, you know, important that's going to have good social and environmental outcomes in, in perpetuity mm -hmm. and have a, a mechanism to support them through that process. Um, and really, you know, doing all of these things, I think if we have, you know, over 10 years, we'll have a number of wins on the boards that we can we can point to and look what we look at, you know, replicating, adapting, scaling, et cetera, going forward. Mm -hmm. Great. How about you, Reynolds? So the, uh, the business development side of me says that the start date is uh, 2023. We are on, we are we're in the discovery um, testing um looking at relationships, all the legal stuff that's going to come with that. And I've sort of put out there, we, we want to be, we want to have gotten through that phase mm -hmm. by, uh, 2023. So 2033, um, I'd like to see, um, significant growth in our, um, viable economies across the state. So, uh, I know there are people that are choosing that would like to choose to live in a more rural setting mm -hmm. and for that to be a viability for everyone. So whether you are a descendant uh, fr from that area or you're returning or you are a new person to Minnesota and you want to live in a village, more of a village kind of area, as well as what I call micro villages within the urban context. But that, that equally in this state, we have a balance of uh, you get the same things uh, if you're living outside of Bemidji as you would if you were in St. Paul. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that in my life. Um, so on my 80th birthday <laughs> <laughs> in 2023 on October, in October, I'd like to celebrate. 33. 33. 33. Yeah, 33. 2033. <laughs> um, I'd like to see uh, at least somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 small yeah. operating agricultural systems within the state of Minnesota. With 10,000 lakes, why not 10,000 viable one farms for, exactly. for one family for, farms? One for one. And then people and their families 
Um, our children are drinking clean water. It's the big blue lake concept. Um, we have a government that understands that Minnesota is a whole system and it's not bifurcated by rural or urban. And um, we have appreciated the wisdom of those who have come before us in the great state of Minnesota and the new leaders and kids that are thriving here because it's a, it's a great place to live because we've, we figured out what we needed to remove the blockages and to, I'll say this as a faith person that we have an attitude to not block the blessing. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, uh, and that's a great way to wrap it up. I, I, I love both of those visions for 10 years from now. Um, and I expect to be invited to that eighth birthday party, Reynolds Anthony. And I uh, just want to thank you guys. So, Misters uh, Reynolds, uh, Reynolds Anthony Harris and Douglas Felton, thank See you. you. For those that are listening, if you want more information on Minnesota Venture Farms or any other great collaborative work that GMCC is leading, uh, check, check them out at gmcc.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next time on the Masterful Collaborations Podcast. Mm-hmm.